Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're in a series called The Five Solas. These teachings are helping us celebrate the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Today is message number four called Sola Fide, Our Only Instrument. Sola Fide is Latin for by faith alone. The main idea we're covering is justification before God. Justification is Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to us to satisfy God's perfect justice, and it only comes by faith. You may have heard justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Here's Pastor John with part three of Sola Fide, our only instrument. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 verses 7 through 8. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We have redemption through his blood. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse, the penalty of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Paul says that we have been redeemed as slaves so that we might be adopted and received as sons. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Because remember what Paul said in Romans 3? All of us are condemned under the law. God humiliated himself in the incarnation and came down under the law where we were and took that curse on himself. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem, buy back, free from slavery, those who were under the condemnation of the law, so that we might receive the freedom of adoption as sons. Slavery to sonship through the redemption of Christ. And then second, Paul says this propitiation, this work of propitiation, Don't be afraid of big words. If you're going to learn a foreign language, what is the first thing you do? You study its vocabulary because you need to have its vocabulary. We speak a foreign language called the gospel, and it has its own vocabulary, and it's good news. Redemption, propitiation, what is that? This reaches all the way back to the Old Testament Day of Atonement. And it refers specifically to the blood of the slain goat by which the Levitical priest sprinkles the blood of the first goat on the mercy seat, which foreshadowed Christ's propitiation. What is that? His full exhaustion of the wrath of God that Paul says everyone is under in Romans 1.18. Jesus, through his death on the cross, has fully exhausted God's wrath and judgment that stands over you and that you are under. And so through Christ's redemption, Paul says that God has shown himself, look at verse 26, to be both just and the justifier. Through his propitiation, God is both just and the justifier. How is that? Through Christ's redemption and through his propitiation, 
God has shown himself to be just. Why? Because the penalty demanded by the law is not removed, but it is paid for by Christ. And then Paul says to Christ's redemption and his propitiation, God has shown himself to be the justifier. Why? Because he is the one who provides the means of justification and who declares his people to be in right standing with himself by virtue of those, look what he says in verse 26, who have faith in Jesus. This is why God is not an unjust judge, because Jesus satisfied all the demands of God's precepts and penalties through his life and through his death. And so Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus was born under the law. That refers to the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant gave Jesus, the incarnate Son, the opportunity to perform on our behalf. Please hear this. This is the heart of the gospel here. The Mosaic Covenant gave Jesus in history and time the opportunity as a man to perform for you to save you through his active and passive obedience. And that righteousness that was required in the original covenant of works in the garden was fulfilled by Christ in his life and death. You see, listen, God's justice requires that heaven must be earned. Salvation is by works. And the good news is that Jesus came and worked for us. He obeyed for us in his life and in his death. And it is Christ then alone in whom we find the answer to our dilemma before God. His perfect imputed righteousness is the only ground of our righteousness before God. Christ alone obeyed the law's precepts and Christ alone satisfied the law's penalties in our place so that through faith alone, sola fide, we can become the righteousness of God in him. It is through his obedient life, his righteousness, that he fully obeyed every jot and tittle of the law for us. It is through his obedient death that he has fully paid the price demanded by the law for our sin and redeemed us from its curse, its penalty. He did that for us. It is only this message that can give assurance to the ungodly that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. It is only this message that can give assurance to the ungodly that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. You see, when you are justified and declared justified by God, that is the judge's in-time verdict that has already been rendered for you now in the present The good news is that believers have already passed through the great last judgment when Christ suffered the eternal last judgment for them on the cross. Only this message can give the fearful, doubting believer who is struggling with his or her flesh every single day the assurance, Romans 14.4, that the Lord is able to make you stand. Amen. 
who can stand? Who, if, if the psalmist, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And the gospel answers, the Lord, through Jesus, can make you stand. This is the good news of the gospel. As Jerry Bridges says, at the cross, there is no tension between justice and mercy. He said, instead, they meet in full harmony. Justice suffers no violence, and mercy has full expression. Only God's infinite wisdom and superabundant love could devise such a plan that both satisfies his justice, he is just, and meets our desperate need for mercy, he is the justifier. God is not an unjust judge. Our justification is not a legal fiction because we are grounded in the perfect active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ for our salvation. This leads to a third and very quickly final truth regarding sola fide. How do we come into possession of that, (laughs) right? How do we get such a great gift? Well, sola fide emphasizes that the means of our justification is faith alone. Faith alone. Let me just quickly summarize this for you if I can. The issue of sola fide was a debate during the Reformation over the instrumental cause of our salvation. What is the means by which we receive salvation from Christ? Rome said that just as there's a twofold ground, there's also a twofold means. The instrumental causes of our justification, Rome says, is the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of penance. It says that by these two sacraments, the grace of justification is received. Let me give you some examples. 30 years after Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door, the Roman church convened the famous council of Trent to respond to the reformers' insistence on sola fide as the sole instrument of our salvation. And it was here that Rome, the Council of Trent, officially sanctioned his view of justification and anathematized sola fide, anathematized the heart of the gospel. The Council of Trent offered a series of proclamations, but in its sixth session, let me just give you some summary points. It says that sinners are justified by their baptism, Sinners, the ju- that justification is by faith in Christ plus a person's good works. That sinners are not justified solely by the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that a person can lose their justification. All of these points are summarized in the Canon 9 of the Council of Trent that says if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone meaning thereby that no other cooperation is required for him to obtain the grace of justification and that in no sense it is necessary for him to make preparation and be disposed by a movement of his own will, let him be anathema. They just damned the gospel. And so in contrast to the Roman church, the reformers rightly maintained that faith as opposed to the sacraments, 
is the only instrumental means by which we are united to Christ and receive his gifts of salvation. John Calvin says the Roman church falsely represents the material and formal cause as if our works held half the place along with faith in Christ's righteousness. But scripture cries out against this also, simply affirming that Christ is for us both righteousness and life and that this benefit of righteousness is possessed by faith alone. Listen very carefully. There are voices, major, major voices in American evangelicalism saying they're reformed and claiming that salvation, not just, just they're saying that you are justified by faith alone, but your whole salvation is not by faith alone. There are major voices saying this. That is absolute error. Works are never instrumental at any point in salvation, ever. It is through the instrument of faith alone, of receiving and resting in Christ alone, that a sinner is justified before God. And the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 14, paragraph 2, attributes faith alone not only to justification, but to sanctification and eternal life. It is the whole package. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says that it is God, listen, who is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, Paul contrasts faith and works to the one who does not work but believes. So whatever belief is, faith is, it is not a work because he says to the one who does not work but believes. You see that. In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, not his works, is credited as righteousness. So Sola Fide maintains this as we finish, that the righteousness by which we are justified is not a part of us. It is outside of us. It is in Christ. It is an alien righteousness imputed to us, listen, through the gift of faith that comes from the Holy Spirit who works that gift of faith into our hearts through the preaching of the gospel and then confirms that faith through the administration of the sacraments. And we need to understand this too as we finish with faith alone. We're not acceptable to God on the account of the worthiness of our faith. Our faith does not save us. Christ saves us. And he does it through the means or instrumental cause of faith, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit. We are only acceptable to God now and forevermore through faith alone, by grace alone, in the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ alone. So, a year before John Calvin's death, which was May 27, 1564, I've referred to it already this morning, the Heidelberg Catechism was adopted by a synod in Heidelberg, Germany. And it was published on January the 19th, 1563, so a year before Calvin died. 
And the, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was his principal author, was a guy named Zacharias Ursinus. Uh, he was actually Polish. Um, he wrote this catechism for youth and to help pastors instruct the young people. But the catechism that he wrote illustrates the fruits and labors of these reformers of Luther and Calvin concerning the doctrine of justification, particularly Christ's imputed righteousness, his active and passive obedience. So I want you to listen how the Heidelberg Catechism defines justification as sola fide. How are you righteous before God? How can you stand before God in judgment and survive? Right? Listen to this answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That's sola fide. That is that even though my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God have never kept any of them. And as a believer that I am still inclined always to evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if, I had never had nor committed any sin and as if I had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me if I only accept this gift with a believing heart, faith alone. That's stunning. As we finish this morning, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this wonderful truth that Christ has fully satisfied the law's precepts for you? That he lived his perfect life in your place and on your behalf. And consequently, because of that, has it gripped you of the implication that when God looks at you in your union with Christ by grace through faith alone, he sees you clothed right now, in the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, holiness, and obedience of his son. And so when God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom, I'm, in whom I am well pleased, he includes you in that grand commendation. Have you ever thought about the wonderful truth that Christ has fully satisfied the penalties of the law for you? Then he died on the cross in your place and on your behalf. And that consequently, the implication is that is that because of Christ's satisfaction, all who trust in Christ alone can say this, God's justice toward me is satisfied. All who are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, have ridden over their lives forever satisfied. You never again have to fear the judgment of God. Even, listen carefully, in those moments, as the Heidelberg Catechism pointed out to us, just teaching faithfully scripture, even in those moments when your conscience is painfully aware of your sin and your failures, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
because we are united to Christ alone through faith alone, we have the assurance that Jesus has fully satisfied God's justice for us. Now, I know this is long, but Calvin says we have to give careful attention to these matters. Give me two minutes and I'll be done. Because I know many of you have struggled your whole life with about, I'm about to apply to you about the doctrine of justification. And we'll finish with this. Believers are scared to stand before God in judgment. Now, it is an awesome thing, and I'll most likely be on my knees. <laughs> it's an amazing, awesome, overwhelming thing, but you don't have to be afraid. So many have been brought up with the fact that, oh, you're going to stand before God, and we talked about it this morning in catechism class, and God's going to put this movie screen up, and he's going to just, your whole life's going to pass through the movie screen, and you're going to be judged for every careless word you've ever said. When we stand before the bar of God's judgment, let me finish with this. What are we to expect? What is our expectation? I'm going to give you two words, vindication and commendation. The final judgment is not a test for the believer to see if he or she is good enough to get in. The the final judgment is a vindication. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, his death on the cross, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We will be delivered from God's coming judgment, not by our works, but only by Christ's blood through faith alone. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as those already glorified on the basis of Christ's merit, his perfect righteousness alone. And because we are righteous in Christ now, we shall be vindicated then at judgment. And then lastly, not only should we expect vindication, but we're going to expect an award ceremony. We will receive Christ's commendation. We will receive his praise. And we will receive his awards. And it will be based on our service to him. And I already know what you're thinking when I said that, so listen carefully. His rewards will not be given on the basis of our merit, good works, our cooperation, but of grace. Because all of our good works for Christ are the result of his grace working in us in the first place. Listen to John Calvin as he quotes Augustine as we finish. Augustine writes, I do not say to the Lord, despise not the works of my hands. Look at my good works, Lord. But I do not commend the works of my hands, for I fear lest when you look at them, you might find more sins than merits. This only then do I say, and this only that I ask and desire. Don't despise the works of my hands, 
but see in me your work, not mine. For if you see my work, you will condemn it. If you see your own work, you will crown it. For whatever good works are mine are solely from you. Praise God, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And thank you that when we stand before you, we will be enabled to stand because it is you, O Lord, who is able to make us stand. We are grateful for this gift. Help us to cling to this gift and guard it and proclaim it and live out its implications. May we all leave here today fully assured that we are pleasing to you, our Father, because of Christ alone. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's part three of Sola Fide, our only instrument. More from the Five Solas series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.